We want to thank our sponsor, Planet Ford. Planet Ford has always been a proud supporter of law enforcement and the community, providing customer service and fleet management, sales, and service. If you're looking for that personal quality service, contact Planet Ford in spring or online at planetford.com. Join us at crimescenetoday.com, and we have uh, Paul Haas and Leslie McCauley here to join us today as co-host. Uh, Paul being in investigations and Leslie McCauley being in crime scene to answer some questions, just uh, topics in law enforcement that we're going to cover. Uh, this week we uh, got an email uh, question from one of our listeners, Mallory, and we wanted to address that up front. If any of our listeners have questions they'd like us to address on the air, they can Write me at dan at crimescenetoday.com. Uh, we'll try to get those answered. So a common question that we get uh, from uh, many people, and Mallory had a question, and it's basically how to become crime scene investigator, how to get into criminal investigations. And, and she had asked, saying, saying that uh, she knew there were many programs for patrol, that uh, they do ride-alongs and things like that right. uh, with civilians and such, uh, and asked if there was any type of ride-along type of thing for for crime scene investigation or for uh, the uh, criminal investigations? Okay. Uh, from an investigative standpoint and from a CID standpoint, uh, there's not. And especially when it comes to homicide investigations, we have to be very, very careful about who we let onto the scene, what we do that may contaminate the scene and, and therefore affect the prosecution. Uh, I think the same thing would apply for Leslie and her group. Definitely. You know, we have, and the only thing I know of, I mean, we have interns that come through uh, through their college programs, right. that part of their education, they go, and I know that the, the crime lab has had uh, interns come through, and they're allowed through a lengthy process. To yeah, their process, they are vetted just like an employee of pre-employment screening. They would go through the same kind of process, background check, that kind of thing. Uh, we do require that they are gloved up on scene, um, and they have very limited involvement when they are on crime scenes with us. It's more of an observation than anything. So an, another question that she had, um, and we've also gotten this one, uh, do you have to be a cop, uh, and we'll address the first one, do you have to be a cop to be a homicide detective? That, that was pretty direct. The right? short and sweet answer, yes. Yeah, that, I, I don't know any place <laughs> that you don't start as a police officer and work your way through to investigation, whatever. And now, it's usually preferred you have a lot of years as as a detective before you start moving into right. homicide. Yeah, at no point do you walk in the door and say, I, I don't want to be a cop, I want to just work homicide, and, and that works. That, no, that, 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 that would that be great, work. but no. So now on the flip side, uh, you can be a crime scene investigator at certain agencies and not be a cop. Yes, that's correct. Um, across, across the country, there are civilian crime scene investigators as well as commission crime scene investigators. So it really comes down to the personal choice um, as well as what agency. If somebody is interested in crime scene investigation and they're inquiring about that, um, that's usually where I suggest um, that they decide whether they want to stay local or if they are open to moving anywhere throughout the state or even throughout the country. And then from that point, decide on what size agency that they're looking at. Um, and then they can kind of decide from that point whether they want to pursue an interest in going to a police academy and then becoming a commissioned officer, or if they want to stay on the civilian side, then they know what type of agency and what type of um, crime scene technician job that they would be looking at. You know, and actually that, that leads into one of the other questions that she had. Uh, apparently she had contacted Conroe PD, okay. and I, I'm not sure if there was confusion in it, but what it basically sounds like is that uh, they had told her that they have uh, civilians that will go to the police mm -hmm. academy and then are on probation for a year and then would be eligible to be crime scene. And I think she's still, meaning uh, Mallory still sort of looked at that as like a civilian-type route, but it sounds to me like what they were describing is just a, a typical police academy. It's I your mean, basic hiring procedure, it sounds like. I mean, every, every civilian or every person starting in a police academy is a civilian, so you complete that, and then at the end, there's usually a probation process. Right. And and usually there is a, a limited amount of time or a, a allotted time that you have to do patrol functions or probation function before you're considered for investigations or, or crime scene. 
and there are agencies that have a combination of commission positions as well as civilian positions depending on what their tasks are so there are agencies out there um, that will comprise both and you know that might work for one person that way so now with uh, and she asked basic careers in both and just sort of feedback from I know all of us have spent uh, many years uh, <laughs> in, in these careers and and I've had a blast, really enjoyed doing, very passionate about what we do, and it's opened up uh, some great opportunities of, of learning for us and, and uh, really not, not a bad day at work, just mean we, we enjoy right. what we do. Uh, but uh, I know that, Leslie, you wanted to talk about this. There's some cost associated uh, with, with taking on either uh, criminal investigations or with crime scene. Certainly. Um, you know, a lot of times we get those questions of, are you able to have a family and a social life with this kind of career? And the answer is absolutely. Um, but with that, like you said, comes the costs. Uh, when I first got into the career, I didn't have any kids, but I was married and waited until I had a point where it was good for both of us, for our relationship before we started having children. Um, but there is a difficulty that comes with that of being on call 24-7 and having the support of family and friends available to help pick up the child from daycare mm -hmm. or in the middle of the night when the phone rings and having to go to a murder, having somebody available to either come to the house while the, you know, the child's sleeping or to pick up the child and drop off. Right. Um, There's no planning on when an event's no, going to happen. Unfortunately so, so, not. <laughs> so they have to always be available. It's not just like, hey, can you this Wednesday, this will happen, right? right. Murder, murders usually aren't considered enough to call us and schedule these things. Right. They, that is they, true. You know. <laughs> that <laughs> you know, would be nice, though. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, we get so absorbed in, in doing what we do, and again, you know, it's <clears throat> reflection later mm -hmm. on what it's taken away, how many birthdays you missed, how many mm -hmm. events that you've missed. And, you know, I always tell the story uh, when I had gotten out of homicide uh, and not having to have that type of calls to go to and things, uh, it was New Year's, and uh, uh, my wife made the comment on New Year's Day, says, you realize this is the first time you've been home in 10 years on New Year's. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Honestly, I, I spent it with y'all. <laughs> we were on many scenes on holidays. Just a different family. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but it, it is. You, you, don't, uh, you need to consider um, mm -hmm. those costs uh, and uh, whether or not uh, you and your relationship mm -hmm. and then do you have the resources like you talked about. Absolutely, and the support yeah, absolutely. Um, for that other person, whether it be a spouse or partner of whatever whatever way, um, even boyfriend, girlfriend, they they need to have an understanding of what comes with this career of, of that person getting up in the middle of the night and going away to scenes. And, you know, we've had several scenes over the years where we were on scene <laughs> for two, three, four days. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's part of it. Um, so... That and going away to training is, you know, another aspect. So there are a lot of logistics to handle as far as the family life um, to be considered with it. And, I mean, just like with, and just with law enforcement in general, you know, and uh, we're in a hurricane area, right? We're actually in right. hurricane season. And uh, everybody, everybody I talk to, all the Texas, all the officers, they'll always tell you their family is most important. It's always the most important thing to us. But it's also accepting that when a emergency happens, such as a hurricane, uh, we have to come here. You know, right. we, we have to come to work. We're on emergency schedule. This is now our priority, and we have to do things put in place to take care of it, but we can't be there to do so. And that really sort of translates uh, the same as with being in homicide or being in crime scene, that instead of it being a natural event or something that everyone's called in, this is pretty much the life you've accepted, that at any point they have to take care of themselves, you have to go... And this becomes priority. The spouses, family, the kid, they're on call just as much as the investigator or the detective is. I mean, they, their lives change in the blink of an eye. Uh, there's been a lot of birthdays where mm -hmm. we, we spend either birthdays or Christmases or, or whatever family get-togethers with this family as opposed to our, our regular family at home. Absolutely. And it oftentimes becomes Murphy's Law that as soon as you cut into the Thanksgiving turkey and sit down with a family, that's when the phone is going to go off. Right. <laughs> I don't know any specific research on it, but you ask right. any any <laughs> homicide detective or, or, or crime scene, and uh, they will tell you the full moon phenomenon oh, is absolutely. real. Uh, if, uh, normally the, the comment was if uh, people asked, it, was it a full moon? I don't know. I didn't look up. I didn't have time. Right? That's so right. We're, we're too busy. Another question that uh, was brought up um, was uh, any particular college degree 
uh, college degree necessary. Um, and in this one, uh, she has a degree. Uh, she does not have it in criminal justice, uh, but she has a degree. And so the comment, and, and this is a question I know debated in law enforcement, mm -hmm. outside law enforcement, is do we need a degree, right? And a lot of times that depends on your agency. Some of the agencies require that before they'll even look at you as an applicant. Uh, not all do. And, and stepping outside of the agency requirements, but to be a good homicide investigator, you don't have to have a degree. I'm, I'm living proof of that. I don't have a college degree. Um, have I suffered for it in some stances? I don't, I don't know as far as the investigations, but as far as the ability to move up and move forward, sometimes that has an effect. Well, and it seems that the the two things that I hear about it is like Houston, mm -hmm. uh, Houston Police Department required 60 college credit hours. And their uh, reason that they would say is that they believed if you had had that much college, then you would be able to understand and get through the academy easier, right? Right. Um, which then brings a challenge that if you're already a cop, then why do you need the 60 hours? Because you've already gone through the academy, if that's sort of your, your thought process. Another argument I've heard for degrees is that it uh, just shows that you're able to stick with something mm -hmm. and that you've accomplished it. Dedication. <laughs> your dedication to it. Um, I don't know. I, I think there's sort of an argument to that. Uh, if you've gone through the academy, you've gone to continuing ed. I mean, uh, I, I would have to look up, but it's thousands of forensic training hours sitting at this table yes. uh, of how much extra training we've done. And certainly the argument does come up that does me taking American history or me taking uh, certain college credits that I have to take somehow assist me in bloodstain and in forensic photography, in interview interrogation. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong, I will totally give credit that um, writing skills in English certainly. and those type of things uh, are beneficial that you have written many papers and yeah. things of that nature. But um, I'm with you. I'm not sure that it's, it's a solid needed, but there are certain agencies that Arlington. Yes, absolutely. You, you bring up a valid point too, Dan. You, you mentioned that the, the training hours that we go through in continuing education. And I think if we were to go back and all of us look at our TCOL, uh, the Texas Commission on Law Enforcement uh, records that we have, all three of us individually have enough credit hours to have gotten a PhD more than once over. Yes. <laughs> right. It, it's, and it's specific. It's specific Absolutely. to what we do, yep. you know, and sometimes it's 40 hours at a time. Sometimes they're, you know, 80 hours, but yes. uh, there's very detailed classes specific. And I translate that very much like to EMS, that same thing, uh, paramedics and such, they're trained specifically in those jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, there's not college degrees. And, and the uh, question I always ask when we debate about uh, the degree is, do you want the person who has the degree, who's had the classroom, the theory about how to work these things when your child is a victim of a crime or a murder? Right. Or do you want the homicide and crime scene investigator that doesn't have the degree, but has thousands of hours in forensic training and 10 years experience. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take that person all day long, <laughs> not dismissing, again, a degree. I think that um, when coming up for hiring and those type of things, it, it is another feather in that cap. It's a but, great idea. But as we all know, just because we're dealing with people, uh, there are people that made a 70 in the class, mm -hmm. and there's people that made an A in the class, and... They both have degrees. The lowest scoring graduate in med school is still a doctor. That's correct. So, <laughs> Just so, having that degree doesn't necessarily define their future success in a career. It's no. How, how they are able to retain the information in those specialized mm -hmm. classes and be able to apply it on a daily basis and, you know, and build from that foundation. So. And I think the type of degree you get is, is equally important. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, uh, a criminal justice degree is great for somebody who wants to teach criminal justice. It doesn't teach you the first thing about being a police officer. But a biology degree, chemistry degree, all of those uh, make great degrees in preparation for a forensic type of, of career, whether it's a homicide investigator, CSI, whatever the case may be. Right. Now, in defense, I mean, some of the criminal justice classes that you take, they, they open your eyes to certain aspects of criminal justice, to so the jail system, different things that right. uh, you'll learn along the way. But a change has happened probably, I would say, about five, six years, forensics or so, that uh, now high schools mm -hmm. have forensic classes. Mm -hmm. I know that Magnolia up here does. Uh, I think Conroe also mm -hmm. does. So uh, they're starting to train uh, the kids at the junior year 
that have an interest, and of course, you know, we'll, we'll get to why they all have an interest with all the crime shows, <laughs> but the, then the colleges have taken on. So I know that San Diego State has a big uh, forensic uh, criminal justice okay. department. Absolutely. Um, so, and you've taught at some of those or helped up there with some of the classes. We've helped um, teach the high school teachers who are in the high schools teaching the forensic programs. Um, and that is absolutely a big trend right now. Um, and of course, everybody has an interest in becoming a CSI because of those shows, like you mentioned. <laughs> right. um, that does create a double-edged sword sometimes. Uh, but I think the the programs are headed in the right direction. Um, but just like Paul mentioned, you know, it's having that practical experience is certainly going to take somebody further than reading the book. And it's not to take anything away from the college programs sure. or the high school programs, but having that ability to apply the information and and see its use on a regular basis is what's going to develop that person. I do get questions on a regular basis of what degrees do, do we suggest. Um, as an agency, we typically don't, but my own opinion is something science or math related, if somebody has an interest in forensics um, and pursue that versus criminal justice or a double major to get mm -hmm. both aspects of it. And the more broad you can keep it, I think, um, makes them that much more marketable. Um, as, but if there is a forensic program, not every university is caught on to where they have a forensic-based program. It's not going to teach you how to be a CSI. They are evolving to the point of of having different aspects of CSI that are incorporated, but you're also going to get different aspects of forensic disciplines like DNA and toxicology. Mm -hmm. well, forensics is like a... a it's a, huge. A, right, it's, it's a <laughs> one word that we put everything. So like when someone Absolutely. says, I want to go uh, get my forensic degree or be become a forensic scientist, well, right. what, what do you mean? What do you <laughs> yes. mean? Are, right. are you going to go Certainly. work in, in a lab, meaning uh, toxicology, DNA, those type of things? Or do you want to respond to scenes, right? right? I want to buy a car could mean a lot of things. I mean, right. there's different versions, different types. It's the same thing with forensics. You, you have a lot of directions to go in. You do. And if you are interested in working in a lab, working in toxicology, trace evidence, a degree is required. And right. even yeah, an, an advanced degree, depending on um, the entity and the agency that you want to work for, crime scene investigation is kind of a different beast. If it's somebody who wants to be out in the field, uh, working the crime scenes, mm -hmm. then again, it's going to default to the agency that the person works for as to whether... Uh, What's uh, required of them. Yes, absolutely. So now I think that at least the schools out there give possibly an opportunity for uh, people to, to learn whether something will get into. Because as you said, most people will get into it or, or they look at it because of what they've seen on TV. Right. And even though it's exciting and about 80% of the show's uh, or what we do, which is exciting for us, right? I mean, everybody Absolutely. wants to, to it's a fun ex part. experience uh, <laughs> those type of things. But then there's reality mm -hmm. that that fun and exciting going and everything turns into writing reports, turns into... the fun and exciting. Turns into... <laughs> Sitting how, on the how stand. How long did you spend on duct tape on a, on a <laughs> cocaine case? What days? Um, probably almost a month. <laughs> so so a month of staring at the same duct tape to get fingerprints. Processing it over and over, waiting so for it to dry. That would never make a TV it. show. Yes. That would that'd be a horrible TV. <laughs> yes. So it, at least when uh, people go to these classes, they realize that yep. this is the real work, right? Do I really want to get in this? Right. You know, and, and I remember um, uh, we had a group from, I think it was Lone Star, mm -hmm. that had uh, uh, part of their class was to go to an autopsy. And... During that class, one of the students had talked about being wanting to be a forensic photographer. Now, I only know <coughs> I only know of one place that you can be a forensic photographer um, solely, right. because when when you're talking about crime scene, it's all the disciplines. I mean, you don't get to walk in and go, "I just want to take photos." That, that's it, right. right? Okay, you have to do everything on scene: sketching, fingerprints, collection, all the good stuff. And the only one I know of is the Harris County ME's office. Now there, there is a photographer that just goes from body to body to body. That right. is all they do. But that's the only one I know of that that's the only specific forensic photographer. Well, this person asked about it, had interest in it. And as we're starting the autopsy, they're steadily backing away from the body <laughs> to where by the end of it, they're up against the wall. They can go no further. Zoom lens would be, be helpful and, for them. Right. You know, and basically turns going, you know, 
if you're going to have to get closer to take a photo. And it was just a reality that this career that they thought they were going into, they're not going to do anymore. Right. In three minutes, evaporated. Right. You know, so well, and it, that's one of those questions when, when we get that of, uh, what are your suggestions? How do I get started in the career? Uh, for college students and even high school students that have an interest in it, um, I always suggest to find out if the university has an internship program that mm -hmm. will place them. If not, seek one out on their own and with the local agencies that have that exposure. Um, you had mentioned earlier, Dan, of our internship program. We, we do interns on a regular basis, and I would much rather a student find out during their four years or five years of college that they can't handle looking over a dead body than to go through that five, four or five years of schooling, go to an academy, or hire on as a CSI, right. go to their first yeah. crime scene, and pass out. Because that's happened, and oh, yeah. it's not like TV in that aspect. <laughs> so you need that exposure to find out how your body is going to react to it. Until we invent smell-o-vision, yeah. you right. won't get the full and, effect of a scene. I think I every homicide investigator is waiting for that so that uh, they, they can really experience the <laughs> right. uh, first four years would become something entirely different. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, and, and you talked about different types of degrees to get, and I've had people ask as far as the federal route. And the suggestion I would give, if someone wants to go to the FBI, DEA, those type of things, uh, they have gosh, probably 10,000 mm -hmm. CJ applicants, you know, probably every quarter, right, that uh, is just the most common one that applies there. And honestly, if you want to stand out in those crowds, it's getting the biology. It's going to say, if you can get a finance degree mm -hmm. where you're going to be dealing with white-collar crime and audit trails and those type of things, <coughs> if you can get that and speaking foreign language, foreign language yes. uh, <laughs> so usually, uh, you know, Middle Eastern, mm -hmm. and in those areas of the country, uh, yeah, those two things, they will snatch you up in a heartbeat because that's what they need currently uh, mm -hmm. in some of the cases that they're working. So uh, depending, again, local, federal, all those things uh, have a difference. You know, one of the things with the degree, I think as we progress, I mean, currently, uh, it's more common to get a degree than it was in the past. So I think as that progresses where more people have degrees, then maybe it'll be a requirement. It's, right. it's still not as common in law enforcement. Right. If you limited yourself to say you have to have this, then I think we would shrink the pool even further mm -hmm. than it currently is. So I would go even further. I would say that if somebody asked me, I would recommend it. If I were to go back 25 years <laughs> and start all over again, I would probably get the degree first, but not for any reason other than A, most agencies, that's a bump in pay. It gets you ahead in promotional exams in a lot of agencies. But also, you don't have to major in criminal justice. That can be your minor, right? right. right? Get, your, get your degree in business administration. Mm -hmm. Get your degree in, again, chemistry, biology, something that, that takes you in the direction you want. The business administration degree will at least give you an idea how to maybe learn to be a supervisor later on. Right. Um, open your mind up and, and, and try to think what's going to make me the best candidate for these not just this position, but five, ten years down the road when I'm ready to advance in my career. Right. Yeah, many and people choose uh, uh, business, mm -hmm. you know, business management, those type of things, because in the end, um, as we said, for your patrol part of your career, for the investigative part of your career, it's not as uh, important. Mm -hmm. And as you get up in admin, then they'll start looking at the business. And you having a business degree over a CJ degree uh, probably make you stand out in that area. I mean, absolutely. The, the, the business degree is going to help you when it comes to setting a budget. And we know in law enforcement, you live by your budget. You yeah. have no choice. Yeah, I mean, no matter uh, what we talk about, it's still a business. That's right? exactly right. You, you still have so much money to put towards projects and how you balance those needs and, and what you're going to do. Now, we talked about the pool getting smaller mm -hmm. as far as recruiting. Um, and a lot of people do come in with the idea to be crime scene to be investigations, but it seems as though it is not uh, as admirable to join the police force as it was uh, when we got in. Mm -hmm. And so, and also I think uh, when a lot of people were getting in at our time, it, it was, you you got in for a career, you got in, that was it. Um, that's not really the mindset that we're seeing coming in. It's that uh, I know that all three of us have taught at the academy seen some of the new Regular, recruits yeah. and and uh, some of the uh, general 
thoughts, attitudes, whatever you'd say, is that it's uh, if this works out, great. And if it doesn't, I'm, I'm going to try something else. Right. I'll go back it's, to sales. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's, it's nearly, it's not like the top priority. It's just mm-hmm. something I'm trying at the moment. Mm-hmm. A so, job versus a career. Which is, it, it's a super risky experiment, if it you is. think about <laughs> it, you know. <laughs> yes. I, I'm going to spend a lot of money. I'm going to put myself through an academy. Or like, you know, uh, the in Montgomery County Sheriff's Office, you get paid to go through the academy now, which is a great step mm-hmm. in bringing people in. But you go through this time. You go through six, eight months you get all your training, you get your badge, you do your first few weeks, and you're like, yeah, this isn't for me. You've just wasted a ton of time right. and a spot that somebody who is going to make this a career. Mm-hmm. Well, and it also goes to there's a lot of agencies that will require time from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, meaning after they've invested in you, you're going to have to work for them for three years, five years, whatever. And, and that's the reason behind it, it because they've put a lot of effort and money away from their budget towards developing you Absolutely. and giving you the tools that you need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now, uh, a question that's come up here recently, sort of a debate, I know it's happened to all of our officers here, uh, is tattoos, mm-hmm. okay? So the argument that's out there is uh, we are missing recruits because of people getting out of the military that have visible tattoos on a forearm. They've, they've met the policy of the military. The military has a strict policy on what type of tattoos, where right. they can be, and, and all those things. So they've met that. They've gotten out. Now they would like to serve in law enforcement. And a common practice is if you have tattoos, you will wear long sleeves when you're on duty. Which is a lot of fun in southeast Texas. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, it's what, 100 degrees heat index the past week or so. Um, I know that uh, the agency, uh, both of our agencies are in dark colored clothing. That was was thoughtful for the 105 (laughs) heat index. But uh, so... Some people say it's a deterrent, right? Now, I mean, I've had others that come up and, and uh, being part of the hiring process, uh, we've informed them of this up front, but, and they're, of course, still willing. They want the job. But, right. mm-hmm. you know, how much do you think that's really affecting or do you think it would open more applicants? Obviously, I mean, there, there's going to be people that we miss. Now, there is a shift, at least as my understanding, there's a shift in the general population toward tattoos. Now, where in the past, the tattoos were usually your, your rebels and, and your bikers and people who just skirted. Right, those were the criminals. Those were the, right. Uh, right. And then it became, well, those are the people who just kind of skirt that line. They're not really bad people, but they're trying to portray that. And now it's not. Now, the, the so general thought process right. is it's, it's art. It's absolutely socially acceptable mm-hmm. now. I mean, there's people who are bankers. There's people who hold very, very esteemed positions that when they take off their long sleeve business shirt, they're sleeved out. Um, I think it depends on what level of professionalism you want to portray. I'm not saying that tattoos are necessarily unprofessional, but what is your clientele? If you're in an extremely conservative area, such as Montgomery County, I think you have to be a little more cautious about what you expose compared to, say, uh, Harris County, which is a little more liberal than, than what Montgomery County is, you might get away with it more. And look further down the road of when a case goes to trial, mm-hmm. what is the jury being made up of as far as the, the demographics Absolutely. of that area? Are we dealing with a jury that's potentially maybe an older generation that doesn't look as fondly on tattoos? So they might not hold that expert in the same esteem if, if there are visible tattoos. Absolutely. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be across the board, but that's certainly a factor, I think, to consider. And, and all of us here would wear either a long-sleeve uniform or, or a suit coat or something like that sure. to trial, right. but we all know that in trial, videos come out, right? Right, you're going to you, be on video. Interview videos. You might have just come in from the field and had to do an interview, and you're in short sleeves. Now the, the jury is looking at this person who's completely sleeved out. You can't see the details of the tattoo, so you can't tell it's just koi and, and Japanese symbols. You, you, you don't know what these are. So right. I think that's something that the agency has to take into consideration. Well, and I know that the, the biggest argument, and we face the same argument we were discussing, because we really, uh, we had some employees come forward and, and to say, hey, we'd, we'd like you to review this. And we did. Mm-hmm. We really took it seriously. And the biggest question that came up was, um, what is uh, an offensive tattoo uh, and who gets to decide? Right. right? <laughs> and so, um, you know, the the argument that I've heard uh, is that uh, to look at military policy, military has specific guidelines on what is allowed, what's not allowed, and do we start from there? And then the end result being something that someone 
of authority, whether it's your elected official, whether it's someone down the chain, would be the ultimate in saying, yes, that's, that's a, a, you know, you're able to have right. that or you're not, right? And, and getting into the offensive nature of things becomes kind of murky water. Right. And because, look, let's just be blunt, by, by some of today's society, us being police officers and wearing a badge and gun is offensive. Well, and that's basically where the, the argument is and where the line is somewhat fallen to is that instead of us worrying about it, instead of us deciding on what's offensive to you or you, just cover them up, right? And, and it's, you don't worry about offending anybody unreasonably. You know, except, again, goes back <laughs> the to... Person the, <laughs> the person wearing long sleeves. The person wearing long sleeves. And that goes to an argument that came up uh, of one of the persons uh, uh, proactively fighting for this mm-hmm. is uh, they retired military. They spent 20 years serving this country, mm-hmm. and during that service, uh, they got tattoos that uh, represent some of their units and things like mm-hmm. that that they were serving. So they come out, and now... In their eyes, what they've done for 20 years and what they've put on their body representing what they've done for this country, mm-hmm. uh, you're saying that they have to cover up and is offensive or could be deemed or you're not willing to take the time to determine if it is or not, right. just wear the sleeves, right? So are you then disrespecting the veterans coming forward that want to have a career in law enforcement and... To deal with, right? You know, I think a nice, happy medium that I've seen some agencies do, and I believe ours does in, in some cases, uh, you know, they make the flush-colored uh, lycra sleeves. sleeves that cover up the tattoos. Um, sometimes you can't even tell they're wearing them, but they're also not a long-sleeve polyester uniform shirt. I mean, it's not as cool right. as as being slick sleeve, but, I mean, if you look at us. But breathable and functional. Absolutely. You know, so... We talk about tattoos, and that leads us to, okay, so then where do you go with piercings? Mm-hmm. Do you allow this? Do you allow that? So that's sort of where the conversation goes to the next thing. And that's usually where the conversation ends, right? <laughs> where it's like instead of going down all these rabbit trails, we're just going to say no. It's much and, easier than And way. stick to the way it is, right? But uh, I see that, uh, you know, police, and I don't see as much in the area that we work in uh, this part of Texas, uh, up north, we see more of a uh, social issue mm-hmm. with police. Uh, it's broadcast a lot on the media. Uh, I don't. I don't personally feel that we have that same type of influence here, uh, keeping people away from joining law enforcement no. as much. I, I would agree with that. I think we're our community, especially here in Montgomery County, is extremely supportive of law enforcement. Uh, it, you know. It, just about a week doesn't go by where we don't have at least one person come up to you in public and go, hey, just wanted to say thank you for what you do. And, and I would encourage people to keep doing that. Right. That means the world to us. It does. I mean, it, it's, it's the driving force. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's the community that we serve, and, and obviously mm-hmm. uh, from that community is where we're getting our recruits. Yes. Um, so we, we have those relationships. So, you know, the next thing I want to switch over to was, uh, <coughs> so everybody, I guess it was last week that uh, FaceApp, uh, was uh, getting around. Uh, the Russian so, sneaky way of getting your face for yes, their facial the, recognition system, yes. <laughs> so I, I know there were millions that tried this, uh, old, make you look old. Make you look, uh, one of my favorite posts was uh, some person put on there, uh, which one is me? They had a, a regular one, a young one, an old one, and someone responded, it's the one that doesn't say face app at the bottom. <laughs> so uh, anyway. Hey, future future detective, yes. <laughs> So, you know, but it, it brought up a question. So, and that's basically our privacy that, that we sort of as law enforcement are having to balance with our new technologies, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so, and we'll just talk about, you know, face app facial recognition. Okay, so there's great debate over how much access to database law enforcement has. Okay, and uh, my, my question of that from a law enforcement to public sort of standpoint is how much information has already been given by the public uh, that can be used not by law enforcement, but <clears throat> for business purposes, mm-hmm. for everything. So so let's talk about, you know, the, the face app, okay? So, <clears throat> and someone had brought up that it's in the user service agreement, you know, that, that basically that the, the company, which apparently is a Russian company, can then use this for whatever their purposes are, whether it's to build an analytical, you know, facial mm-hmm. recognition program, 
whether it is to identify uh, to be used for commercial advertising, these type of things, which actually has been done for years. I don't know if right. y'all remember the case of, uh, I think it was a Facebook photo that was used on a billboard in a foreign country that, you know, they didn't have to pay for advertising, they paid for nothing. It was, But it's part of Facebook's agreement that if you post a photo, if you put something on there, then they own the rights. And I know that they've gotten a lot of trouble here recently right. over those privacy issues and, and have limited some of that, right? Right. But, you know, the analogy that I always talk about is uh, everybody's been to Google. Mm-hmm. You, you have the homepage, and it's a search bar. So tell me how a search bar is a billion-dollar company, okay? <laughs> uh, there's no advertising on there, and obviously the reason is that they're selling your information of what you like, what trends are, what's popular, because there's companies that pay tons of money for this. Right. And so that's already out there, uh, Instagram, Facebook. You pay for none of this. So obviously there's something that the company is getting back that they're able to then turn and sell this information and whatnot. So that goes to things that we do. Uh, I know here recently in a couple, uh, again, a couple months ago, uh, we were looking to put up an LP camera, a license plate reader camera. Yes. So, um, and they were going to position it on the freeway. And there was a lot of discussion against citizens' rights of having a license plate reader that you are then recording license plates that drive by that have done nothing wrong, right? Right. And that the police would then have access to uh, this uh, database of these uh, license plates. The argument was, since it was on a freeway, there's so many, it really does not track things you do. And so it seemed to be that the uh, unacceptable license plate reader would be one that you put at a neighborhood. If it's coming in and out of a neighborhood, then they could see what time you left, what time you're coming, right. these type of things. Now, reality, we've had license plate readers in our county for at least seven years, I think. You know, uh, we've had them on the freeway. We've had them in things. Uh, we've used them in investigations. Mm-hmm. Um, at no point, at least in the, the tools that I've used, uh, is, there, <coughs> is there times that we are looking a general population of their habits and things they do and those type of things. This is great information that Google would love, okay, to know when people are coming, going, and (laughs) and what cars they like and what color those cars are and all those type of things. What we use it for is if there was a burglary, a robbery, something that occurred between a certain time frame, what license plate passed by here, uh, those type of things. And more importantly, if we have a suspect vehicle with only a couple letters to the plate, was this captured somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. So, for the most part, we're trying to use it for the purpose to catch criminals and not just Big Brother log everything. We have a lot better things to do than track the average citizen. In fact, we just soon leave them alone, let them go about their lives, because we are trying to focus on the bad guys. We want to put these guys away. So, I know that uh, they are tied to some alerts, Mm -hmm. uh, that if you have a stolen vehicle drive by, it alerts that there's... Uh, people that are uh, in a stolen vehicle traveling here, if you're nearby, you can get that vehicle off the road. Now, one of the other recent, uh, I guess, privacy type of things was the DNA genetic database. Mm-hmm. So it was California was the... Yeah, Green River Killer. Green River Killer, mm-hmm. that uh, they were able to find a DNA profile that was in a genetic database. And... Uh, so as far as the genetic database, what we're talking about is like the 23andMe, mm-hmm. right? So where people volunteer, put their DNA up to try to find uh, people that are related and where they came from, mm-hmm. ancestry, and all those type of things. So what they're able to find is that even though they didn't find the killer's DNA, they can find a relative, right. which then narrows down your scope. So that led to... Uh, them changing their user rights because uh, initially if you if you used any of these services uh, and I say any of them, I don't know specifically which one, but there were many of these services that if you used, then it automatically put you in the database that police would have access to. Mm-hmm. And so it was a opt-out. You had to tell them, I don't want someone to have access. On the time that this was released as far as privacy, the they changed their user agreement, so now you have to opt in. So it went from having close to, I think it was like, um, I think it was 1.2 million or maybe it was 12 million, something like that. But it was a large amount 
of, of uh, information in there to zero. Okay, so no one had access Very anymore. Quickly, yeah. <laughs> and I don't see a way that you get access because for us to get a warrant for a database, you know, you have to believe that the suspect's information is on there. And not just somebody they're related to. Right. right, not just someone they're related to. So uh, it's sort of, uh, now they, I guess, start putting back out for people that uh, wanted to opt in that were currently in there, and mm -hmm. some people did. Uh, and But again, it goes back to that freely sharing information uh, for a, a small value. They, they find out who they're related to, mm -hmm. they find out this. But it also, in that user agreement, what I found, my, my sister had uh, mailed her stuff off for this, and in the packet, it talks about that uh, they will be able to identify uh, types of cancer and things that you would be more susceptible to and these type of things, which is great on one point, but they also tell you up front that if an insurance company wants this information, we're going to give it to them. So now an insurance company that may have covered you in the past checks the database and those type of things. And, so it cuts you, yeah. So again, it's, you know, the, the good and bad, sword. and the double-edged sword. <laughs> it's, you know, um, law enforcement reason over privacy. Um, you know, we deal with that in uh, booking mm -hmm. people. We've, we've had cases uh, already. It's gone to Supreme Court. I think it was Maryland that was using DNA swabs on the booking process. And that was challenged all the way up to the Supreme Court that basically said that uh, people can change their hair color, they can change their eye color, they can change their fingerprints. We'll talk about that on another one. <laughs> and, uh, and, but they can't change their DNA, right? It's the most identifiable it is it is. Uh, character that, that you could have. So uh, it's, it certainly meets a Supreme Court standard currently that is part of the booking procedure. Now, that's it at the Supreme Court standard. At the state, you can limit it further, which is certainly what Texas has mm -hmm. done. We do not currently uh, swab anybody coming in just because they've committed a crime and put that into no, a database. No pretrial. So, um, and we're talking about databases, so there's, there's a couple different databases. We talked about the you know, genealogy mm -hmm. database. Okay? The privately and owned. The privately owned. And then now... There's only certain things that can go into CODIS, okay, which right. is what most people think of as the database. So, um, so why don't you tell what uh, what can go in, what what sort of CODIS is, or it's it's the combined DNA database, right? But you have your evidence. Yes. So when we have an offense, when we have a crime scene where we have an unknown DNA source. Uh, if we've got a crime scene where a cigarette butt was left behind and the victim is a non-smoker, so there would be no reason for a cigarette butt to be in that environment. Uh, that would be an example of an evidence-type mm -hmm. DNA. Those are things that, that we send uh, to the state lab for examination and enter into CODIS. Um, now, what's sitting in CODIS is actually, I mean, they're, they're known felons when you yes. go to uh, you know, our tax department corrections, or you go uh, convicted of a felony, yes. then you will get entered into CODIS. And obviously the idea is that if you've committed one crime, you probably have some evidence that's out there. So the other thing that's in there is unsolved crimes, yes. evidence that's sitting mm -hmm. there from unsolved crimes, and those things linking together. But it does not have uh, people that have committed misdemeanors and, and regular booking type of things that are in there. Uh, there's also a connection to it, which is the missing person database. If we find uh, bodies that are unidentified, we can put that DNA and hopefully uh, link to uh, who that person is. But that's, again, limited. Now, uh, they have ruled that you can create local databases, meaning, again, if you were to uh, use the booking procedure, right. you can't send that to CODIS. Right. It still doesn't meet the criteria that, that it can go to CODIS, but you can keep a local database. And I know that, again, we don't do that in Texas, uh, but I know in other states uh, they've been able to do that for their property crimes mm -hmm. and clear a lot of property crimes because, as you said, send it to DPS, send it to the state, right? Mm -hmm. And how long does it take for a return from the state? It certainly depends on their <laughs> backlog. <laughs> so, I mean... Well, that's the PC answer. Yeah, the, now, <laughs> it, now, it's quite lengthy. <laughs> now, the real answer, I've had a case that took three years to come right. back, right? right. And sometimes it takes six have. months, sometimes it takes three years. Sure. And certainly, depending on the severity, and I'll clarify that, on the severity of the case, they may push it forward in time. Mm -hmm. But when I say severity, that doesn't mean murder. 
That doesn't mean I no. mean it, it has to be something, uh, possibly a serial killer who's still on loose. We're we're having these murders occur. That there's a basically an outcry uh, from the public and from the community. That, that there's this, a threat to a greater portion of the community right. other than just the one victim. Right. Right. Or it could even be prioritized on cases mm -hmm. that have trial dates already set versus cases that don't. So it just right. depends on the lab, what their backlog is, and right. And so what they have. the other option that we have is saying to private labs, right? And now mm -hmm. there's a cost factor with that. Of and <laughs> I know we talked about uh, one before, uh, I guess last week that mm -hmm. um, it was a, a kidnapping case, and we spent close to about forty thousand, fifty thousand dollars on one case uh, to try to find this person, solve this case. Um, and again, that's just to get a quick turnaround uh, on one case, and obviously that adds up real quickly. Uh, we don't have that type of money set aside because, again, we, we do have a free option, we'll call it, mm -hmm. by sending to the state, but there's that delay. How right. soon do you need this, right? right. And, and what's, what's pressing it forward? I mean, And what I was getting at is the state does not do property crimes. I mean, uh, as, as a general statement, I mean, if there's something, you know, unique out of the way, you know, they may consider it, but by standard of their policy, they do not do property crimes. So your burglaries and things like that, you know, we're not getting DNA from. You would have to send those out for private labs. Mm -hmm. uh, and depending how fast you want to get it, also mm -hmm. increases the cost uh, that you're going to pay. Because obviously uh, their machines are expensive too. They're not state funded. They, they have to pay for their and stuff. And it's a business. I mean, right. they're not doing it out of the kindness of their heart or, or a duty to the public. Right. I mean, it's, that's their business. That's what they've created this business to do. And again, it's not to say that it can't be done. It, it's certainly an option. It's going to depend on those right. those particulars for that case. You know, and we um, right, there's an article about a new uh, DNA lab here, mm -hmm. um, and it's doing more of the genealogy stuff. Now, you've used that before. I think uh, Parabon is one that's pretty right. common. Um, and besides getting uh, genealogy, uh, we're also able to get like descriptors. Right, because basically off of... Right, R rough rough genetic markers that might give you an idea of what the person should look like. Right, well, at least it should tell us their color, color, eye. Eye color. Right. Any, any obvious deformities, things like that. So, it, and that may at least narrow it down to some right. of the suspects we're looking at, but uh, it doesn't get that solid... It's know, not hit. picture perfect. Right. You know, it's not like TV where it gives you the GPS coordinates, right? The GPS of where they're currently it. located. Yeah. Because Absolutely, because it's connected yeah. to their cell phone based on their name. Right, right. That, that we're going to get the result in, in five minutes. Right. Um, five so, months would be nice. Yeah, so the, and that sort of wraps around back to the same thing is, you know, we, we have the uh, public concern mm -hmm. for privacy, and then you have, and I wonder if it's to a point fueled by some TV shows that believe that once we have some small piece of data, then that we can go even deeper to find out, you know, uh, you know I, I love the one where you just have a person walk in the car with their groceries, and all of a sudden the camera is able to zoom in into the grocery bag, see the actual grocery right. that they bought, yes. the barcode on it, list their whole transactions for the month. I mean, this is amazing stuff. I mean, that's, that's what's coming, right? So, it's creative imagination for sure. But we face that and we call it the CSI effect, mm -hmm. yes. right, yes. that uh, when we go to trial. Because we still, of course, are using the current technology and <laughs> techniques, uh, but we're questioned as to why we didn't do enough, right, and why we didn't do the things that we see on TV. Right. And there's a lot of explanation that has to go on that that's not real. Well, and to, the, to that point, there are some things that we do uh, involving like gunshot residue tests and things like that, just so we can say, look, at trial, we did it. Are we going to get results? Are they even going to be tested? That's not our that's not our decision, but we're still going to do it just so we can say in trial that we did do it. Yeah, the um, you know, the main tests that are coming out, some uh, uh, DNA has gotten uh, way more advanced. Mm -hmm. uh, it's gotten way more sensitive, and and to the point of, at one point it was nearly too sensitive. Yes. Uh, you know, we're talking about touch DNA and this type of thing. And uh, when I say too sensitive, it is that so uh, we have us three sitting here. And by us sitting here, 
skin cells and different things, but uh, someone doing a swab may get a mixture of three people and trying to narrow that down and trying to break that DNA up into three different profiles uh, is what gets to be, you know, uh, mm-hmm. a hard job uh, for the DNA labs uh, and trying to narrow that down to a specific person. Well, but, and as, as the detective, as the case agent on a homicide case, you're supposed to do everything you can to make sure, and, and you want to make sure that the person that you're looking at is the correct target. And, and because our, part of our job, a big important part of our job, is to make sure that innocent people aren't charged in a crime they didn't commit. Right. But how far do you chase that down? If you do have a mixture and you have an unknown in addition to your suspect, how far can you chase that down the rabbit trail? Well, and I, I think you, know, you make a point that we're, we're, it's just important for us to uh, focus and try to free up you know, anyone who has mm-hmm. a charge against them that does not deserve that charge against them. And on the same plane that we're going to do just as much to make sure that if there is any doubt uh, that we're going to bring that forward. And it's like mm-hmm. I said, how far do you go? Well, there's only a certain uh, link that you can go as far as testing those type of things. Absolutely. But with anything we do, it's turning all the information over so that they have all the information that, you know, this does exist. You know, uh, it does not give an answer. We don't know where uh, it's going to lead to. Uh, we've gone as far as we can with it, but it does exist. It's out there, and defense has it, prosecution has it. And if they feel that that somehow affects the certainty, whether this person did this crime or not, then that's up to them to decide whether yeah, they're going to continue exactly with this right. case. Right. So, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's interesting uh, where DNA is going. Uh, it's gotten faster. I think it's still very expensive to <laughs> use the faster uh, methods. Um, you know, we have the uh, rapid DNA, which uh, we could talk in great length about at another time. But uh, currently on rapid DNA, uh, the machines they make, uh, you don't have to be a DNA scientist to use. A general technician can use them. Uh, but last check, they were a quarter million dollars. The samples that you put in them are close to $1,500, mm-hmm. uh, disposable, cannot be used again. Um, so, and it's still early on and being challenged. Right. So until we sort of have some court cases and things like that that are really going to define whether we can use that, I, I'm hoping that it does become to a point that uh, we can at least use it as presumptives, and that way we can at least get a warrant, get somebody off the street that normally we would have uh, a little more length in trying to catch and get them off the street. Right. So it's, uh, and one thing that was unique is uh, the cartridge is actually possibly going to go from 90 minutes to 45 minutes. So who knows? Maybe one day we'll be down to hopping in the car and we have, you know, our uh, five minutes and we have our <laughs> DNA and, and who knows uh, what else will come about. So Who knows if we'll actually get a GPS coordinate someday too. Yes, hey. yes. As, as long as people keep playing with FaceApp, right? That's then, right. Then, we'll, then we'll, we'll get all their information as they think that we're collecting on a regular basis to go back and look at. So <clears throat> I thank you all for coming in. We had a great time talking about these. Absolutely. Uh, for any other people that uh, have any questions that they'd like us to answer, uh, please send them in, dan at crimescenetoday.com. Uh, we look forward to your questions, look forward to the topics. Uh, we want to share our information with you and get that information out there. Thank Absolutely. you for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you.